And one of the things I learned was cost versus benefit. And that's become my, my way of decision-making. What's the cost? What's the benefit? Are they tipped on one side? What are the risks? I look at it. Worth it. I'll go for it. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast. And today I'm really excited to introduce my friend Trixie White, the founder, visionary, and chairwoman of the Q2 HR Solutions Group of Companies, a fully integrated provider of solutions that help good, hardworking Filipino people find work and help employers find and retain great people. Trixie also spends a lot of her time giving back as a board member of the EOS organization in the Philippines and the Asia Bridge Forum, or ABF, as an active member in many industry organizations and as an investor or advisor to several other businesses. She's passionate about life, learning and uplifting people, the companies they work for, the communities they live in, and ultimately her whole beautiful country. So Trixie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me today. Thank you, Peyton. I'm excited to be here. So. Tell the listeners about where your entrepreneurial journey began, if you would. I'm a late bloomer, they say. <laughs> I should have known early on that I'd be an entrepreneur because both sides of my family, my dad's side, my mom's side, my grandparents, they're all entrepreneurs, including my mom. But my entrepreneurial journey started with my husband many years after my corporate life. So I was 32 when I became an entrepreneur. And that was after I left my mom's business. Being in a family business, people told me, don't ever join a family business. Hmm. You're going to ruin your relationship. Did I listen to that? Yeah. But did I keep to that? No. <laughs> um, you know, my mother was adamant to get me into the business because she said the business is yours anyway. I should have listened to my gut, but again, things happen for a reason. And I decided to leave my mom's business because I wanted to preserve my relationship with her rather than always fighting about how the business is going to be run. Mm -hmm. She was running the business for over 30 years. So it was very difficult. So then my husband and I, because I had a blueprint of an executive search company when I started my mom, when I joined my mom's business. She's into the HR business. She does contract project work and overseas placement. Mm. So it's very capital intensive. Mm. And so when I joined my mom's business, I said, I need some capital. Where do I get it? Right. So it, the banks, they're not very good here. Mm. So um, I needed to be creative. And I said, you know, great margins in the executive search business and the Philippines at that time needed professional corporations like what I did to encourage talents and to bring talents into the fore and place them. So I got a blueprint of that. I, I set it up in my mom's business. It was highly successful. So when I left my mom's business, since I was the one who set it up, I said, look, I'm going to carry this over. My husband actually we were in Hong Kong and we weren't sure what we were going to do. And uh, we were overlooking the bridge, uh, the, the river. And um, Brendan just said, you know, 
we have a blueprint of a, an executive search company. Why don't we set it up? I looked at him. I said, seriously? He's, yeah, you set it up yourself. Why don't we do it? And I was thinking in my head, I was thinking, oh my God. Yeah. And then he said, you can do it. You can, you, you can start tomorrow if you wanted. I was thinking, oh my God, you know, putting it in someone's psyche suddenly. Ah! So a couple of clarifying questions. So uh, your mom ran this business. Is she still running the the HR consultancy that she was running at the time? My mom passed away mm. um, about two, three years ago. Oh, so but sorry. No, when I left my mom's business shortly after, maybe I'd say two years later, my mom shut it down. Mm, got it. But she was running the business while you were growing up. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I would say your entrepreneurial journey began at birth if you were born into yeah. an entrepreneurial family. Because That's there's true. because there's one thing about an entrepreneurial family that I know is true because I come from one as well, and that is you're running an entrepreneurial business at the dinner table every night. Am I right about that? Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. So yes. how old... I met my mom's clients. Yeah, when of course. I was very young. Of course, of course. So how old were you when you joined your mom in the business? I was twenty eight. And then when you left, you spent how many years there? I spent about two and a half years there. Mm -hmm. And and at the end, it was either preserve the relationship with my mother or stay in the business, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's, yeah. And the people that my mom had, they saw me grow up, you know, so it's very difficult to get into an organization and be in a position of leadership mm -hmm. when all of them saw me grow up in you know, not being in the business. I think a lot of people who are in family businesses don't understand how much harder it can be for the next generation to have independently created credibility because the perception is that you're in a position of authority because you're a family member, not because of your ability to contribute. And so, absolutely. And, and even when other people aren't feeling that way, we have a tendency as leaders to feel as a little self doubt about that ourselves, which doesn't help matters, right? Yes. And, and what I did when I was in my mom's company was I hired my team mm. because it was very difficult to move in the direction I wanted with the pe the current people that my mom had. It was a total, I guess it was, gener you would call it a generation gap yeah. between my mom and I. Yeah. Her style and my style was very, very different. Well, I encounter that every day, right, in that in that when you have built a successful business with one set of rules and priorities and approaches, a new person coming in and suggesting a completely different set of rules and priorities and approaches has a bit of a hard time being heard. So it, it's not yes. exclusive to family businesses, that's for sure. I agree. So the start of your journey with your own company involved you and your husband talking about this business you had built inside your mom's company and saying, why don't we build that same type of organization ourselves? Right? That's right. And uh -huh. so, so this was when, what uh, roughly what year, 2000? So this was in the year 2000. So yeah. we actually, last year, 2020, celebrated our 20 years of uplifting lives. Ah, lovely. So very proud. Right. So it started as an executive search business and has broadened to a number of 
people-related businesses where you're helping match great talent to companies that need great talent. Is that a fair way of summarizing everything? Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, um, it is. And how tell us about the early years starting a business with your husband. You you left one family business and immediately started another family business, Trixie. Yes, and that was another thing that many people said I shouldn't do. <laughs> but this time I did and it was successful. That's Thank great. God. That's great. And what what it, what was the secret to it being successful or different than your last experience? The reason I think that it was very successful was we understood and we respected each other's expertise. I was very much the, you know, the front end of the business and uh, sales, marketing, client, customer service. And my husband was very much into the finance, the administrative side, mm -hmm. ensuring that the office was safe and protected. And so he was a very, very strong finance person. So there would be, as you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, when you start, the finances don't look good right away. <laughs> well, well, and, and in my entrepreneurial career, it wasn't just at the start. <laughs> you and your husband may have been appreciably more talented than me, but uh, yes, I'm quite familiar with that feeling. Yeah, so um, every night we'd talk about the business and uh, being finance as he was, he would look at the bottom line and would get so nervous. Right? Like, oh my gosh, where is, how are we going to feed the kids first? And then how are we going to give the salaries to the people when he can see the bottom line? And mm -hmm. and I, because I was sales and marketing, I, I saw what was coming in. You saw the potential. What he didn't see, yeah. So he didn't see all these things because he was at the back end. He mm -hmm. would only receive the bills and all that. But I would talk to him about it at night and say, this, this, th these companies we've just closed and we can see that the market is growing and so on and so forth. So that was my relationship. And, and it was so nice because I started bringing him to sales meetings and he was a natural. He was a natural salesperson. And then at night, he would talk to me about finances and I would learn about finance and mm. all the things that I need to know mm. about finance. So it was a great combination and everything. And we talked about this and we said, look, the decision would have to be if both of us don't agree about something, we've got to talk about it and say, who is more passionate about this, mm. right? Mm. Who feels very strongly about this? Because if you feel more than me, you will take that lead on that decision. Hmm. So that was how we worked on decisions that didn't match. So you had a process for how you would make decisions when you didn't all agree long before EOS ever entered your company's life. I commend you for that. Right? I commend Well, and it's so vital in a family business where, you know, a fractured partnership with a business partner that isn't also your spouse is expensive. A fractured partnership with a business partner that is your spouse is a crisis. It's awful. So yes. good for you. How long were you and your husband working together to grow this business? There's seven years or so, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah, so we were excited to have this business. He was with a corporation mm. prior to joining me in the business, and he was doing some project work with a big corporation prior to finally saying, okay, um, I'll join it 100%. So 
although he was at the back end working with me, it was a few, maybe a few months later that he fully joined. So from a spare room of our house with six people, we had one PC amongst us and one laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and we had two tables shared among six. Yeah. And then we had our golden retriever coming in and out of our room because it was in our spare room. It was a, his name was Monty. He was our stress buster. That's how we all started in 2000, right? So very humbly. And then um, we moved to our office in uh, the Central Business District shortly after that. And things were going well um, when we started in 2000. And clients of mine would come to me and say, Trix, I've got this problem. I don't think um, anyone else is doing this right now, but would you be open to helping me out? Entrepreneur in me, don't yeah. say no. Yeah. Look at it first and see it. Say, sure. Say yes and figure it out later. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I got there and I said, yep, I'm going to help you. He said, oh, um, do you have the people? I'll build them. So we were with a company that was a pharmaceutical distribution company in the Philippines. And basically from an executive search, they were asking me to do a totally different kind of business model. Mm-hmm. It was contract project, but not just that, but it was productivity based. Mm. They would not pay the people on a hourly basis, but rather on the results, on the output. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was if it was going to be successful, it would be better for the worker because the more productive, the higher their salary, better for the company because they're more productive and better for me because I get a person to solve it. But if it, everyone wins. But if it doesn't work out, you and your husband are holding the bag. If I if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> right. Yes. That's right. That's right. It is. Right. That's how it is. That's great. But I wanted to share this story because. This is a story that kind of fully changed me in the way that I saw the business. So my my husband and I, when we started, he said, look, Trixie, the Philippines has so much talent and there is so much unemployment. And it's very sad, you know, for someone like him coming from first world country, mm-hmm. although, uh, you know, loving the Philippines, he wanted to, to you know, have a, have some way of helping out. So the business was the way to help out. And in a country where there is so much unemployment, he said, we have a noble cause because we are providing jobs mm. for the people. It's We're not giving them the fish. We're giving them the fishing rod mm. so that they can be independent and they can have a livelihood to support their family. So I said, yeah, I love that. So that was really the the center of when we started our business in 2000, 2000 what was the what was the unemployment rate in the philippines what percentage of the population wanted a job and didn't have a job roughly it's basically i would say upwards of 20 percent. Mm. i mean that was it, it's worse now obviously but it's about i'd say 27 percent would mm. be the unemployment rate it's mm-hmm. really high the reason why um it's they depend on which statistics you're looking at because they include the self-employed mm. in the statistics. That's why it makes it less, right? Less right. unemployment. Right. Because the people on the street, they're not unemployed, they're self-employed. Right. Selling right. flowers on the street. So it depends on who you're talking to, I guess. Got it. Got it. So I was mentioning about 
this experience with the pharmaceutical company, I was doing a time and motion study myself, and I was going to this company every day. And you must understand that my business at that time included this contract work Mm -hmm. in the factories and Mm -hmm. people who would do labor, you know, heavy labor. So I was doing their time and motion to shift them from hourly to productivity based. So this lady came to me running. I came out of my car and said, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. And this is all in Tagalog in our dialect, right? Or language. She held me by the hand and she said, ma'am, are you Trixie White? I said, yes, I am Trixie White. I just wanted to come here and say thank you. Mm. Because of you, I can feed my three children. Mm. And then she just looked at me and walked away. Up to now, she doesn't know the effect of her words that day to me. Mm. It changed the way I saw my business. Mm -hmm. This is a person who's earning minimum wage, who's got three kids, and all she can think of are the basics even feeding her kids, not buying shoes, not you know traveling, feeding her three kids. Fascinating. So, so in your business, you're not only leading and managing your team, but you're also interacting with the leaders and managers of all these organizations whose people you're helping hire, helping train, helping redirect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Given that this is a podcast about leadership, I really want to dive into your experiences, your opinions about what works and what doesn't work with leadership. And I want to start with your earliest recollection of watching someone lead anything in your life. Who was it? What was the situation? And what did what do you remember about it? Well, you said it earlier. I come from a entrepreneurial family and therefore it started very very young for me i saw my mom as the leader in fact even before that my grandma who was also in the business as the leader but my mom was my first recollection because it wasn't just about the business it's the way that she carried herself as a leader our house was always a congregation place of people where she would be in many organizations she would be the president of this and the chairman of that. And, you know, that's on top of, of her business. And I love the fact that at the late age, I mean, she, at the age of 57, she decided she was going to take a law degree. And so she did. And that's on top of her master's degree already. So growing up, I thought, wow, you know, it was just normal to me. It's only now very different when I look back, but it was normal to me. Oh, my mom's gone to, you know, law school, master's, you know, okay. So it's really the thirst for learning, right? Amazing. And her influence, her charisma, it was just, she was a big person. She's not a big person, but she had big influence. Yeah. Well, it sounds like she opened her home and her heart to the people she interacted with from all these various enterprises and that that was a big part of her success, connecting with other people. I like that big heart yeah. because that's what she had. She was, I would say, generous to a fault. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's one of the things that I learned to manage the mm-hmm. generosity to a fault mm-hmm. because I saw that in her and I said, okay, when I have my own business, if I ever do, I'm not going to be like that. Mm. You're not going to give to the point of hurting 
your own business or your own family. Yes, that's yeah. right. Interesting. It's not, yeah. What would you say the quality of hers that you most hope to emulate is? I would really, like, it rubbed off on me, her thirst for learning, because mm. I think that's one of the most critical characteristics of any leader, knowing that you don't know everything and you've got to be able to, you resourcefulness to find solutions and never really stopping where you are, like continuous improvement and, and things like that. That's why I'm in EOS, right? Like yeah. If I had EOS in the you know, earlier days, I would have done that. And it's not because I'm in your podcast. Um, <laughs> it's it, To me, it's really continuous improvement, always wanting to be better. Yeah, that's great. Um, with all the leaders you're surrounded with, give me some other phrases or adjectives that describe the kind of leaders you see being most effective. What are they doing that make them better leaders than the average person out there? I would say, and this is this is what I experienced with a colleague of mine many years ago when I was in a corporate life, right? I was in a hotel industry and her name was Sally and she was amazing as uh, she was my supervisor and she trained me. Most people, when they train and probably they see a potential, they either get feel threatened and keep things to themselves or grab some of the attention and credit onto them if they mm-hmm. do something good, right? But this lady, she was the one who really, she's not selfish. And she trained me. She mentored me. She gave me everything that she knew. And she had very high standards for herself. And so she elevated me because of her own standards. She elevated me to her standards. And being so humble to, you know, if it's a mistake that she made, she will actually say, that's mine, you know. And in one of the meetings, she said, you've got to say thank you to Trixie. That wasn't mine. It was Trixie. Yeah. So giving credit where credit is due. Yeah. She was strict as she was very strict with me. But she was fair, so yeah. strict, but fair. So these are the characteristics that I felt were so important because it was my real experience of someone mentoring me, someone sharing with me. And I said, you know what? I'll be the same. When I ask a room full of leaders who the best coach or mentor or grower of them as individuals was... Almost everybody can think of somebody right away. And the second question I ask, were were they the nicest people you ever met? And almost always they all say, oh, no. <laughs> Honest to a fault, right? And uh, so that's good stuff. Um, tell me about the biggest challenge you've faced as a leader in your own business. I think decision-making is definitely one of the uh, most important roles that I play as an entrepreneur and nobody, you know, when someone says, okay, um, we've got to learn how to make decisions. Nobody teaches you that in university, right? How to make decisions, you know? But one of the things that I learned, again, I'm a sponge. When I was growing up, when I was in the corporate world, I loved being sent to workshops, to training, to all those things. I just loved it. And one of the things I learned was cost versus benefit. And that's become my my way of decision making. Hmm. What's the cost 
What's the benefit? Are they tipped on one side? What are the risks? I'll look at it. Worth it? I'll go for it. And the biggest challenge I I had, and, and um, it was a personal one in terms of it became personal because I didn't mention earlier that in 2006, my husband, who was my business partner and my life partner, fell ill. Mm. And in 2007, I became a widow mm. with three children, mm. my nine-year-old, my five-year-old, and my one-year-old. So I was with him, looking after him in Singapore, whilst the business was running. And both of us left. So when I came back fully to the business, I expected it to be where I left it. But boy, was I mistaken. <laughs> it was a shock of all shocks, you know. Mm-hmm. Our clients ran dry. Our AR was, you know, you can talk about ARs and we're capital intensive business. 150 days is going to kill us. So many things were wrong. Our Five of our senior people at that time were leaving by coincidence. One of them was our five-year finance manager. So these were things that were happening. And when I came, it all just all crashing down. Like, oh my God, really? What do I do? Do I continue with a business or do I say I'm young enough? I can go back to the corporate world. I can be safe and comfortable because I'll have my monthly salary. Mm -hmm. I can look after my three kids. That's why I had to say to you. My three kids were very young, mm-hmm. right? And I needed to think about them. So that was the biggest challenge for me at that point in my life. Do I continue with this business or do I not? And I wouldn't be here if I didn't, right? Obviously. What did you rely on to make the final call? I called my senior leadership team and I was very honest. And I told them, I showed them everything, vulnerability included. This is where we are. We have a runway of three months. What do you do? And if you were me, what would you do? So I asked them because I knew that they were mature enough to be able to handle the situation. And I said, look, I will not take it against you if you feel you can't handle this. But this is where we are. This is what we do. We uplift lives. We have a bigger purpose. But, But we need to be profitable. That's our air. That's our oxygen. No margin, no mission. Yes, absolutely. So we might have a noble vision, noble purpose. But if today we can't look after ourselves, we can't even breathe. What's the point tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Wow. And one by one, they came and they said, we're in, Trixie. We're with you. Let's do this. And so I did. How long did it take for you to feel like you were no longer in crisis? That was in 2008. Mm. The crisis extended because we were in the red, right? And 2009, we went back on equilibrium. That's excellent. And and at the time, that that was right corresponding, corresponding with the kind of meltdown in the financial markets as well. Did that complicate things for you? That's actually one of the reasons why it was very tough. Yeah. Because I had a personal crisis. I had to look after my husband. Yep. When I came back, there was a business crisis because the business wasn't doing well. Then there was a country financial global crisis in 2008. Right. It was a perfect storm. Yeah. So when people ask me about this question, because there's many challenges oh, in my yeah. life. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, 
<laughs> hard to pick which one would be, you know. So when I when I you know when I was asking myself what would be the biggest challenge, I would say that's one of them because it was really at that tipping yeah. point to continue, not to continue. The market out there wasn't great, and great thing about it is I've had the people, the support of the people around me, and it's it's the people that that could make a difference. Yeah. You know, well, I love that your answer to the question, what did you rely on was you asked the people around you what they thought. And and I think that's a very humble but effective way of leading, being honest with the people around you, telling them the truth and working together with them to make the right decision for the team and the business. Great, great story, Trixie. Thank you. I, I actually hired my integrator at that time. She wasn't an integrator yet. I hired a number two. I called her my number two. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I've always liked that term. I've always liked that term. And uh, coincidentally, that's the highest I can count without the aid of a calculator. So uh, it really works for me. So a more global question for a second, because you've interacted with organizations and leaders all over the world. Is there... Are there different leadership qualities in Asia, for example, that are effective where they may not be effective elsewhere? Or are there a set of standard leadership qualities that can be applied in any culture in any region in the world? Have you noticed any differences or similarities regionally? Yes. This is a very interesting question. I love that question because it's making me think, Mm. Peyton. So I deal with Asians and Europeans or Westerners, right? So definitely in Asia, it's very different, less direct way of managing. Um, The style is very much respect, very collective. On the other side of the, you know, the world, very direct, right? It's don't beat around the bush. Just tell me how it is. But with those differences, how do effective leaders in both regions get everybody on the same page because i know they do that they just do it via two different routes in my view there is the way that i've seen it is that people do it through in many of the entrepreneurs because i'm part of eo is that it's through the people through a system right Mm -hmm. and which is why people look into different kinds of tools so the the difference in in i would say the cultural difference is that because we are more collective more you know we 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 care about not that i should be careful about this not that the other side don't care about the people and things like that here very much a a collective part right, right. we're part of collective and, and the leadership is very much a people-centered, centric. And the I would say the cultural divide is not so much on the style, but the understanding of cultures. So, for example, I'm very direct. I'm Filipina, right? <laughs> but it doesn't mean just because I'm Asian, I can't be direct. But I can be direct in a subtle way. Right. As opposed to in your face, I don't really care what your reaction to the thing I'm about to say to you is going to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, and I and I think those in the states, those regional differences exist as well. I'm in Minnesota, and and one of the things people say about folks from Minnesota is we're Minnesota nice, which means that we sometimes act like we agree and act like we're all good, but we don't really feel that way inside, which I would call less direct than someone in a in a in a more aggressive region of the country and so what you're sharing like new is york a, yeah like new york would be a great example and and at the same time sometimes i feel like people in new york aren't genuinely sharing their real feelings they're masking them with aggressive behavior and bravado as opposed to really getting deep and really letting people around them know what they really think and feel and so i think this, I, well, I love what you said is that you can be direct, but you might do it in a slightly different way in one part of the world than you would in, a, in another part of the world. You don't have to change who you are. You just have to change your approach and the yes. way you deliver the message. Interesting. And I think this is where a lot of people talk about authenticity mm -hmm. in the way that they lead. And what I've seen, and if you would ask someone how I am as a leader, Authenticity would probably be one of those descriptions. Yeah. And one of the things that I guess, because this is like a, not a confession in this box, <laughs> the two of us, but, you know, authenticity <laughs> always used to worry me on the other side hmm. because it can also show weakness, right? And yeah. vulnerability because you're authentic. Where does, where do you draw the line yeah. from authenticity showing you know, like, for, for example, the challenge that I had where I had to tell everyone this is where we are at. Yeah. People would be, you know, would not necessarily want to do that because it will scare many people away. So the authenticity side could be could be um, a good or a bad thing. Not bad, but could be a, a source of doubt for some. Right. When they see. OK. You know, so again, uh, to me. I've heard this and culturally authenticity is a cross-cultural leadership that I've seen in many people. Well, I, I yeah. believe there's a way to be direct and respectful and direct and collective, right? And, and there's, a, there's a great book by a, an author by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud called Integrity, and the subtitle is Genius, The Courage mm -hmm. to Face the Demands of Reality. And so I think of this book often when I think of the tough moments as a leader where you have to be vulnerable with the people around you because it's the truth and you're a human and you're scared and you're worried about the future. And, and I believe that the best leaders are able to be honest about their concerns without eroding everyone's confidence around them and sending them scurrying to the hills panicking about what's going to happen next and so that's the tough mission for me is how can you tell the truth be a good collaborative listener with your fellow leaders but not terrify them into wanting to quit tomorrow and go find a job at a more stable organization right absolutely that's the challenge we've all got trixie and and you know the thing what you said earlier about decision making you don't learn decision making in university you learn a lot of processes for making decisions. You don't learn what the right decision is every time in university. You can follow a process and still come up with the wrong answer. 
And I think one of the keys is when all of us just get comfortable with the inevitability of our failures from time to time, we are going to make the wrong call. We are going to fail and we need to own it, learn from it and move on. Absolutely. This pandemic has really shaken many people. And when we talk about telling people the truth without scaring them away, I remember when we went on a lockdown, as you know, the Philippines is the longest lockdown and Mm -hmm. we're back into lockdown again now. Mm. Okay. So in March, so I was doing my town hall just before the lockdown and thank God I did that because I knew that, you know, um, I, I moved my town hall a week in advance thinking in case we are unable to come back to the office temporarily, (laughs) Let's do the town hall early so we can tell everyone what to expect. And since then, we've been doing our town halls every week Mm -hmm. through Zoom. Right. Just to just to keep the connection there, even though you're not in the same facility. Just to keep the connection. Yeah. But what to tell them, right? What to tell them? Do we tell them the truth and 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 let them know the gravity of this? And we needed to. I felt I really needed to. It was my responsibility as a leader to tell the truth about what was going on. Because if I didn't, people will take it not so seriously. They would go out. What did this mean for them to keep them safe first and keep everyone in their family safe and keep the company safe? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it was really the balance between tell them the truth. Right. Use that truth to convince them that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. So... One of the best pieces of advice as a leader I ever got had nothing to do with leadership. I had to deliver some troubling news to my children, and I asked a counselor for advice about how to do that. And she looked at me as though I was smart enough to figure this out myself, which happens to me a lot, by the way. And and she, she said, tell the truth, use as few words as possible, and then shut up and listen. Nice. About as good as it gets from a how do you deal with this stuff standpoint. I love I love what you said. Um, listen, because that's one of the leadership skills that again you go to university, you don't get told how to listen well, effectively, properly. You know, they assume that you listen because you're in class, you're taking down notes, right? That's kind of experiential. Mm-hmm. But listening to me is one of the characteristics when you asked me earlier what would be a characteristic that uh, a good leader should have you know in the beginning of our podcast and listening skills is in at the top for me because me as a leader we tend to or we tend to preach or talk about things and and we forget that we're not the only ones who have great ideas in fact many people have better ideas than us this people of different levels and ranks. It's not just because of your position or your role. So I love the fact that you talked about listen because listening skill, listening skill as a leadership characteristic is critical. Yeah. Critical. Couldn't agree more. And for me, a a tough lesson in my life as a leader was remembering that listening means listening with the purpose of understanding as opposed to formulating your response. And and I struggle with that to this day, so I appreciate you drawing attention to that. Uh, I love that because, in, sorry, I, I just, it just yeah, reminded please. me yeah. about, in, in my company, what I've started doing 2010, 
yeah, it began in 2010. I have a, what we call a president's hour. So I, I they sit with me, I, it's random. Five people sit with me in my office and we talk about, I structure it in, in a way so that there is authentic, you know, vulnerability from all parts and there is confidentiality and trust in the room. Mm. So people won't, you know, anyway, I love listening to their stories, not because I'm going to ask a question, but because I really truly want to know and understand where are they coming from? Where's the motivation? Where's the drive? What's their story? I love hearing stories because in these stories, I get so inspired. Their stories inspire me. So when I come back home, I bring all these nuggets of stories to my kids. It becomes like a bedtime story, but for us, dinner time story. (laughs) Do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? This is, you know, and what they learn from it. So uh, to me, listening with not just your ears, but your heart, because the heart is what tries to understand. Well, and I, I, I am fascinated, and this podcast is a great opportunity for me to do this with some amazing people, but the, the people around us live truly amazing lives and have truly amazing stories to tell. And what gets in the way of us understanding and appreciating that is often that we don't take the time to ask or listen. And as a result, they seem like employees or team members or people driving poorly in traffic in front of us and annoying us. And we forget that they're human and they have families and all of that stuff. And I, you know, if there's one good thing that's come from the pandemic, it's slowed everybody down a little bit and, and forced us all to sort of contemplate that we're all in this together. And uh, kudos to, to you for having a, a habit since 2010 of taking time to do that without waiting for the pandemic to force you to do it. Yeah. So, one last question before we conclude, because I could talk to you all, all day in the Philippines <laughs> and night here in the States. There are a lot of young, new leaders listening to this podcast, working hard to become the best leader they can be every day. And you've gotten mountains of advice in your career and you've sifted through all of it and I'm asking you to pick one little nugget you've learned that makes you a great leader and share it with the young leader that wants to be great what's important for us to know Trixie it's one of those things that you're right we've learned so much and condensing it to one like what's that one thing that you know a young entrepreneur and I'd say don't dwell on setbacks Mm. because there are many setbacks in an entrepreneurial journey. I get setbacks all the time, every day. And to dwell on them is the worst thing that I could do. Instead, I, I would say use it as a platform to improve and get better. Mm. And oh, yeah. invest in a system. Invest in a system that enables continuous improvement. Because we go through life, you know, not intentionally. But if we have a system, it allows us to be intentional mm. about what we want to do and making inroads to make that happen. And even if we have setbacks, the system allows us to see it yeah. and turn it into a positive thing for us, a learning platform. So, so again, because it's inevitable, everyone experiences setbacks and Instead of those are challenges, I would call them challenges, but they're adversities that are gifts. They're allowing us to see what's not right 
and fix it. But it can only be done that way if there's a system that allows it to allows us to see it for what it is. So yeah. Great, great piece of advice. Thanks, Trixie. Before I let you go, tell the listener who wants to learn more about you and your company where they should go to learn more. Please come and visit my website, <laughs> q2hrs.com. So that is our website. But again, thank you for having me here. Yes, I'm in the Philippines, but it's easy to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's easy to, I, I use my Facebook on personal stuff, so I don't. So it's just LinkedIn and Instagram, really. Great. So thank you for your time. My pleasure. Enjoyed it immensely. We'll have all that information in the show notes. And uh, once again, this is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Trixie White as much as I did. Please review us on iTunes. Give us some constructive feedback or say great things to attract other people to this important program. Thanks. If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor. Open your podcasting app and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. If you've already subscribed, please subscribe one of your friends. <laughs>